We're recording, so uh, I, I will get ready to intro us. <clears throat> hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out Mondays, where we tell you what we're into. Start your week off right. Uh, today we're going to do a little, little, little something different. We're going to do a little uh, lightning round of stuff that we're into. Then we're going to talk a little bit about Solo, a Star Wars stories. <laughs> I speak good Klingon, not Klingon. It's Wookiee too. Oh, I forgot about that part. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, uh, hi, who, are, who are you? <laughs> I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. Hello. Hi. It's, it's us. We're back. You boys. Hey. You boys yeah. is back. Bruh, bruh. Boys are back in town. Boys are back in town. Wow, ready for wow, three wow, hours of this. Wow, I know. Wow. I know. In your podcast feed, it says Ooh. this episode is a good deal shorter, but we're lying. Three hours of this, and you're about to be cuffed and shackled to your seat, and we're uh-huh. gonna drizzle you with honey and let the bears in. Oh yeah, we're using that sweet, sweet metadata manipulation, and then then, then the guys are gonna come. Um, anyway. <laughs> Guys uh, are gonna come. Uh, they sure are. <laughs> so, uh, um, you had a couple things that you wanted to hit real quick. Um, yes, and I have a thing. You have a thing. So, really quickly, I just wanted to talk with you about the recent season finales of both Arrow and The Flash shows that we have kept up with uh, for a long time. You and I, uh, we actually we actually met doing an after show for Arrow at another place. Yeah. Um, so we've been we've been tracking the show for a while. Uh, we definitely have thoughts, and I wanted to get your opinions on both finales because I I have some thoughts, not extensive, but a couple of thoughts about both. Uh, but you first. Okay. Um. I will start with Arrow because okay. I like to end on higher notes. Um, I thought I thought this season of Arrow was fairly um, not their best. It was not their best. Um, a little inconsistent in terms of like what they were trying to go for. They tried to hit a lot of beats multiple times. Um, so like the things I I liked were that um, every like. Dig, that Diggle like found his own way, um, and I was excited that like Curtis found a new boyfriend, <laughs> um, and but like killing Paul Blackthorn. Spoiler alert, guys. Yes, uh, uh, Paul Blackthorn, uh, series regular since the pilot, I believe, yeah. uh, as uh, detective, then captain, then mayor, then corpse, Quentin Lance, uh, <laughs> is, uh, de- yes, departed the show. And I I saw a couple of weeks in advance that he was going to be departing. Yeah. Um, so I, I knew something like this was coming. In terms of execution, ha ha ha, in terms of the way they carried out uh, that that specific necessity. Eh. I mean, yeah, it. I think the the my biggest issue with it is that it. So when we had Damien Dark, um, he basically had the same kind of storyline with Laurel, um, where Damien Dark was threatening Laurel, and so he went and kept trying to blah, blah, blah. And then Damien Dark finally killed Laurel. And so now it's like the same exact storyline, except he gets killed instead of Laurel. And I really honestly, like, I didn't, 
I didn't really want to see a Black Siren redemption arc at all. I was really pleased when it seemed like they finally figured out what to do with Katie Cassidy, and Black Siren was an infinitely more interesting character than Earth one Laura Lance right. had been at any point, which is not her fault at all. It's just they they really didn't seem to figure have figured out what to do with her character until in season four she dies and they poured over her her evil doppelganger. Yeah, so much more interesting, and I I don't want to see her become more like the earlier, less interesting version of Laurel A. And then B, in terms of execution, we really hit the same back and forth beats a ton over the oh, course yeah. of this season. It became real repetitive at a certain point. Yeah, I what I wanted to see happen was, and they would have had to do, do this a lot earlier, is that like the first half of the season, they made us believe that um, Ben from L- oh, Lost yeah. was the okay. bad guy. Uh, oh, God. Um, um, Michael Emerson. Michael as, Emerson. Caden uh, James, who, again, through no fault of Michael Emerson, who's a wonderful actor. What a just nothing bland, boring, vanilla character on the page Caden right. James was. Yeah. And so I, I was fine with the bait and switch of him not being the main uh, villain. Right. He gets uh, unceremoniously offed by uh, Kirk Acevedo's Ricardo Diaz uh, yeah. d- over halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. And Ricardo Diaz is a far more compelling presence, but he shows up way late and after having been barely established at all. Right. And so then they make it so that he's he's like he owns everyone in the city. Right. Um, and I would have, I, what I actually wanted to happen was I wanted Black Siren to take over. Like I wanted the, the actual bad guy to yeah. be someone who everyone was relate, had like some form of relation to, which would have helped this conflict of like whether to take her out or not. Like they had elements of it where everyone was trying to protect, um, Laurel from, uh, Dinah, but... Um, it was still secondary to everything that was going on with um, Ricardo Diaz. Right. Um, but having her be at the forefront doing all these bad things and everyone still trying to protect her would have been a lot more effective because you have those connections. Right. And you brought up Dinah, too. And I, I like I like a lot of what they're doing with Dinah. I think she's definitely uh, better better at being black canary than earth one laura was for sure the whole business with her and vigilante none of that worked for me the vigilante reveal didn't work for me a lot of the civil war stuff worked for me fine in theory but not necessarily in execution it felt like just a lot of business and it felt like a lot of wheel spinning and a lot of treading water until we got to the really the last couple of episodes yeah and there were moments in the finale a lot of the stuff i did like was just keeping it focused on character and uh in in, like emotional interactions and making amends and saying uh, implicitly saying goodbye but wiping the slate clean a bit in terms of a lot of the character relationships and then i do i like how this season ended and i feel like it'll force their hand next year they can't fall back on the same unless they undo it in the first two episodes, which they might. But uh, he gives himself up. He outs himself as the Green Arrow. He confesses publicly, and he goes to prison. Which I, And he goes specifically, they reference it as a supermax. So this is a real Deep Cuts reference. There was a movie, a Green Arrow movie, that was in development years and years ago. We're talking like, I want to say, I want to say around the Nolan Batman movies. 
uh, but maybe even a little bit earlier, okay. uh, called Supermax. And it was about Oliver Queen, not in his outfit, basically being incarcerated in a Supermax prison surrounded by supervillains who are also not costumed. They're all in prison. But him essentially having to fight his way through this prison of supervillains. Yeah. Um, so I like that, that this was had to be a very explicit reference to this super deep cut screen arrow thing. But I'm curious to see where they go now because they've already we know they're coming back for season seven so we have to i don't know we'll wait and see but i'm I'm curious that yeah. that part of it I, i'm going like all right well let's pivot if we can from some of the stuff that didn't work this season into something that by necessity will be different right like i feel it feels to me like when they started the season they were like this is the last thing we want people to see um so we'll end there but like Getting there, they were kind of wishy-washy on. Um, So, like, they tried to incarcerate him twice. um, And it just, with varying success. Like, they started with the FBI, and then the FBI FBI disappeared, and then the local police tried. And then they tried him, and then other stuff happened. And and there's a lot of stuff that is now, too, the way they ended it in hindsight why did we spend time on this? Like, it was really fun to see Human Target come back and the Tommy Merlin face mask cameo. Like, that was all very cute, but, like, what was the point of any of that? It just, I don't know, man. Right. Yeah. So, and um, it's just, it's coming off of what I feel is maybe their strongest season overall, which was season five, and certainly their strongest finale that they've ever done. Yeah. It just felt like we didn't really continue to run with that that ball the way I was hoping we would. Yeah. But the finale I thought was probably the best episode this season for whatever that's worth. Yeah. Um, not counting the crossover stuff. Right, right, um, right. Which the crossover this year I thought was excellent. No, it was um, great. But uh, I'm curious to see where they go. I don't know how many more years of Arrow there could be. Yeah. But I'm, I, at least now we know it's going to be definitely, hopefully, something different than what we, we saw this season. Yeah. Um, so the other one was the flash that we wanted to talk about. Yes. Which I think we both feel a little bit more positively about uh, broadly speaking, but there are still, I had some like big hangups with it as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that like it, the way it ended was it, it, it felt more earned than it should have like this week I, or not this week, but this season I kind of struggled with because it was also a little bit inconsistent was, in the way it was, it was a, telling its yeah, story. It was a bit wobbly and there's stuff that I thought was super effective and super dark. Like the way the thinker kills people by burning them out of their own skulls. Right. Essentially. Like I thought that was very effective and like deeply disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, And I, I honestly, I don't mind that, that, tone was juxtaposed with a much brighter more fun tone than we certainly we had last season right i don't mind the juxtaposition but it did seem at a a few different points that we lost the thread maybe of what story we were telling that was uh, uh consistently strong enough and clear enough to link those two tones efficiently if that makes sense yeah that makes sense um so yeah i think that like they they managed to make the thinker fairly formidable, giving him so many different powers. So it was nice to have a villain that wasn't just another speedster and and actually posed a threat because all the different aspects of Team Flash he was able to encompass or, or counteract. I thought that was well done. Um, I think that the way that the, the, the resolution to this season was... was 
uh, okay in that like my biggest issue was this idea that there was a good and bad side of the thinker um and then ultimately that good side had to end up being dig digby just to get him back but like that's not how that's not how like psyches work bro like to to be fair uh that the show is not how reality works. Like I, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, but like that, the reason that tripped me up wasn't necessarily because it doesn't align with our real world understanding of psychology. Well, but like, no, it, it's more not, not even like psychology, but just it, it makes it less impactful to think that essentially this guy is it, like, he's, to think that, like, it, it takes away some of his personal responsibility if you think of it that, like, he has this good and bad side and his bad side killed his good yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, it it showed that even before he had had his mind split, he wasn't a good dude. Like, no, there was, definitely not. Like, he was, he was controlling, he was manipulative, and he was, for the most part, an asshole. Yes. Um, and so, like... I, I wish that they wouldn't have kind of taken that responsibility from him. Yes. Okay. I agree with that. Um, but like something that I did really like is uh, how they, since last season when we were dealing with Savitar, they've been doing a really good job of sprinkling in um, little bits from the next season leading up to the finale, which I really dig. Um, so yes. like last season they kept mentioning DeVoe um, and then we get DeVoe as the, the season baddie. And then this season they had um, Nora West right, or this, Nora Allen. This uh, Nora mis- West? mystery girl. Uh, yes. It would, or it would, be, it would be Nora Allen. Yes. Or Nora West Allen. Yes. Nora. We get Nora, um, the uh, Barry and... Uh, and Candace, not Candace. What Candace is it? Patton. Yeah. <laughs> Barry Allen uh-huh. and Candace Patton. Um, um, uh, <laughs> Iris. Iris, yes. <laughs> See, you forgot. It took me a second because I was like, I, that's not, I imagined a universe, an Arrowverse in which uh, Candace Patton's just playing herself. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Barry and Iris's daughter, who has been like showing up throughout the season. And I want to say in the comics, I think this character's name might be Dawn. Like, Maybe I think it's a. Di- I want to say it's a different character name, but I like that her name is uh, Nora, named after Barry's mother. It's very yeah. nice, um, which makes me think of the season one finale, which makes me cry. But uh, <laughs> every single time, by the way, one of two pieces of media that I'm actively aware of, the other being uh, the ending of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. That no matter how many times I see it, uh, when Barry's saying goodbye to his mom at the end of that finale, I'm just just weeping every single time. Anyway, yeah, uh, mine is. Uh... Batman v Superman when they have the Martha moment and I go oh, this, both the same name this oh movie's God. not good oh, oh, so, they so were touching. only gonna get to do this for oh. the first time once oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but like uh, yeah so they they layered her in um, I think pretty I mean you you knew like that we hit it pretty hard like yes. who is this girl but but it was nice that they were threading it like what from about the midway point or no yeah. that the crossover yeah. I think is the first time we see her because she's the she's serving at the wedding yes um so yes I like that element of it how okay how did you feel about the ultimate the ultimate defeat of DeVoe and the the resurrection of Ralph um, I thought it was an, 
I have, I'm conflicted because I thought it was a nice way of finding a way to bring Ralph back. I wish they had established that idea earlier in the, sh- I guess earlier in the season or some, so because like there was no point at time in which you were like, yeah, the, all you got to do is just you know get get him through this hole and then Devoe will be it defeated. Felt very simple, right? Um, the whole device of him being in Devoe's mind, I guess, I guess that sure, I guess that tracks about as much as any of the other like quote unquote science uh, on this show uh, as a whole. But it does feel like, wow, we introduced this concept in the finale because we needed some device to get Ralph back. Yeah. And so that like that, it it was, it was fine. I I was more distracted by the fact that they decided to redo this scene in the matrix Two. Oh, the, the burly brawl. Yeah. Yeah. With, yeah, with uh, comparable CG. Yeah, I look. I my, I feel c- conflicted as well. Um, I, and I go back and forth. Uh, on the one hand, I really like uh this version of the elongated man, and I really like this characterization of Ralph Dibney. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was so disturbing and and powerful and off uh, just un- deeply unsettling when Barry has to watch him die because, as I mentioned, like the way Devoe kills people is horrifying to me yeah um so on the one hand it's like it felt like a it it felt like a cop-out too yeah like i really like him and i'm glad he's back it felt like a cop-out but then on the other other hand if they were going to bring him back i actually think this is a pretty clever way to do it yeah in as much as yes the fact that they introduced this device just now feels a little bit cheap but if you're going to find a way to bring him back, it, it like that his body was the one that that DeVoe was still in. Yeah. So it makes enough sense. It's a shame you couldn't help everybody else, but uh, it makes enough again, science. It makes enough mm-hmm. sense to me that if you could get Ralph through the little hole, I guess that, yeah, he could he could retake his body. The the then the other issue I have with it is. DeVoe's ultimate defeat, like the moment where they actually, I guess, destroy him essentially, yeah, felt real soft. Like it felt real unimpactful to me, right? Especially considering what a what a powerful threat he had been all season long. It just felt very weak sauce. Yeah. And then I thought for a second, oh, okay, we got Ralph back, and now he's he's kind of living on in a digitized form in the chair, and we're gonna all have to band together to stop him in the real world. Nope. Yeah. Nope. His wife just just pulls the thing out of yep. the back of the she chair. She just yanks it. it out. Um. I wish. I think that like for me, it would have been more satisfying if if we had spent the penultimate and the finale inside of his mind. And while everyone else was working on the satellite piece, um, just because we could have spent more time kind of one establishing what needed to happen. And we could have fleshed that out a little bit more. Um, also like there could have been a lot more of a, I think like, cause dig, dig me was just walking around. Like if it would have been like kind of a heist where Barry was trying to break him out of a mine prison or something. And like, once you broke him out, that's how it works. Not as opposed to like, and it'll probably would have saved them a lot of budget to just like have it be a single space where he needed to kind of maneuver through as opposed to like an open space where they need to create a bunch of clones and stuff. Um, I think that would have been a little bit more effective for me. Um, And then like having 
while that's happening inside his mind, having some kind of like, like him effectively being affected by it outside, like kind of shifting between him and Digby while Barry is breaking him out. Right. Um, something like that, because it happens so quickly once they get him through the hole that you're kind of just like, why is he defeated? Um, and also, if we were just going to run through them the entire time anyway, why did we do the burly brawl? There's no point. They were just like, I don't know, man. It, we just, we needed something cool. I still, though, I, I don't, I definitely don't think it was their strongest finale, but there was a lot in it that I liked, a lot in it that I thought was fun, a lot that I thought was underwhelming. Um, not underwhelming enough that it tanked the thing for me, but yeah. some stuff that I bumped up against a little bit. Right. Um, but Flash has been consistently my favorite of these shows. Um, it's always been the one that I've found has balanced the light and the dark elements most effectively. It's the one that I found to be consistently the most emotionally impactful. Um, so I dig the show. I definitely bumped up against some stuff in the finale. And hey, do you remember when this was going to be a lightning round? Uh, yeah, I remember. Um, so lightning round. I uh, <laughs> Here's my thing. Um, I, I ran into this food truck. So if you're in the L.A. area, um, check this food truck out. It's called Spoon and Pork. Um, it is a they it's a self-described like Filipino food truck. It sounds um, like a Swedish chef. They specialize in pork belly dishes, um, and they have a really delicious pork belly banh mi. Okay, um, which it's like, like their their pork belly is really thick cut and rich. Um, the the sandwich itself, like the sauces they use, are a little spicy. Um, it has all the traditional banh mi stuff, like you know carrots and celery. And all celery, not celery, um, cabbage, um, you know, banh mi stuff, uh, cucumbers, um, and ugh, it's it's so good. They also have a uh, pork belly, uh, um, masubi. I w- like usually you see like spam masubi, which is just like a piece of spam on top of rice wrapped in seaweed. Right. Um, but it's pork belly instead of um, instead of instead of spam. Uh, so good. Um, so I would say if you're in the LA area, check them out. You can uh, follow their, you can Google them um, to find out where they are from time to time. Um, and they also have an Instagram. It's called Spoon and Pork. Um, so that's that's a thing that I'm into. Um, but yeah, so we saw uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. We and, sure did. And we wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, I know I have thoughts. Um, do, do you, I, I feel like you have thoughts. As, we didn't see it together. We did not. We saw um, it uh, separately. So this is the first time we are talking about it in the same room. Um, uh, I feel like we have similar feelings in that I am very lukewarm about it. Okay. Um, there are things that I really liked aesthetically. And there are other things that I... I felt were very cynically done and maybe it's just the way I feel about it. But like there are some moments um, that I, 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 once we start talking about it, I'll get really get into it. But I feel like there were moments where the writers were like, 
<laughs> people have been talking about this for years. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna show them. And that's the general feeling I got when some of these things happen. Interesting. Um, yes. So, I mean, I can list them off now. Real, um, real quick, just let me, let me respond just very, very broadly. Yes. Um, I am actually, I was very, very surprised that this thing came out as well as it did under the circumstances. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a now very publicly troubled production. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were, I think, what, four, four months into production? I believe so, and yeah. They were unceremoniously fired because they, if you if you read the history, I guess it's just they, they would make days run crazy long trying to experiment with different things. Budget was expanding and they, you know, the, the AD would have to keep going back to like, you know, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, the powers that be at Lucasfilm saying like, if we're going over schedule, we need more money. And apparently that is ultimately like it, it boiled down to a combination of money and genuine difference of opinion in how to approach the material. Gotcha. And so they brought in Ron Howard, who, of course, I don't have to tell you who Ron Howard is. Ron Howard is actually if you can get Ron Howard to come and clean up what you see as a big old mess. Yeah, you get Ron Howard, and he more or less cleans it up. Yeah. The fact that this thing came out at all, anywhere close to as well as it did, I think is pretty astounding. Yeah. Having said that, um, I, I actually think I feel more positively about it than you do. I feel a little bit better than lukewarm, um, but you know, with caveats. There's, I overall, I had a, a very good time. Yeah. watching it which is different than saying overall i think it is a spectacularly assembled piece of filmmaking yes uh but i did ha i did have fun i yeah. was trepidatious as i think a lot of people were going in and i ended up having a very good time you, i think you it is a situation where i felt i had to not worry so much about much you know yeah. like i just had to accept what it was i knew the production so i was like all right let's see if this thing holds together at all and i do think even though some of the individual parts are wobbly you can feel at times that it was it was pasted together a little bit from different iterations of shooting yeah um overall i think it coheres pretty well okay. uh but again within that there are definitely variations. So I guess, yeah, let's get into a bit of uh, specifically what what didn't work, but also I want to know what did work for you. Because there were things for me that go beyond just aesthetics yeah. that, that did work. And there are a couple of things for me that I really liked because I just think they're so dang silly. <laughs> and there are some things that I disliked because I just thought they were so dang unpalatably silly. Right. Uh, for example, real early in the movie, uh, the, for me, for me, the most yes. painful moment in that entire two hours yeah. was when he gets the name Solo. And that's pretty early. Yes. The first 20 minutes, honestly, for me, were the roughest part. And I think part of it, part of it was just adjusting. Right. Just adjusting to, and I think Alden Ehrenreich is a great, I really think he's a great actor. Mm -hmm. I did not see the Warren Beatty movie he was in, but I have seen, like a lot of people have, uh, Hail Caesar, where he, you hear people referred to as like, he was a revelation in this movie. He was a dang revelation in that movie. He is phenomenal. Yeah. I think he's a very good actor. I don't think he's bad as Han Solo. I appreciate that he wasn't trying to do a Harrison Ford impression. Yeah. It definitely took me a few minutes to adjust to this this person being Han Solo. Yeah. Um and also it just feels the least the least engaged, there's the least going on. We haven't met most of our supporting cast. 
Um, and it feels very choppy. To yeah. Me. I mean, I think that like the, the only, I will say yes. Like, I think that everything, everyone in this movie is acting the shit out of everything that they're doing. Um, and I think that like, um, he, I think that the only thing, my only like nitpick about, um, Han Solo is that like he, as a character inherently, he can't grow. Cause like he does all his growing in, in a new hope. And so like, he's there to kind of just put like, he's, there to be the person we're familiar with. But well, and it, that too is it was one criticism of uh, Force Awakens, which which ties into the a broader criticism about oh, it's just the same as what came before, which is not fully accurate. But uh, they walked back Han's character essentially from where he was at the end of Return of the Jedi. They kind of walked him back to where he was closer to like the first movie and Empire as well. Because yeah, once he changes too terribly much, he's not he's not really Han anymore. And like, that's the version of the character people are the most connected to. Right. But you're right. Like his arc, like his, his real arc is all in that first movie. Right. Um, so like, I don't, I think that having that be the foundation of the character in the movie, it makes sense that to me, everyone else's journey was a lot more interesting. Well, and like Han's, Han, I'm not, this is not, I'm not the first person to, to phrase it this way, but like Han Solo's origin movie was Star Wars. Right. Like we meet him in the cantina. He's a rogue. He's a scoundrel. He's a smuggler. He's a criminal. And he's not doing this for any ideological reason. He's not doing it because he cares. He's doing it to get paid. Right. And by the end of the movie, he is laying out, he's, he's laying himself, his, his best friend and co-pilot, his ship on the line to go save his friend and stop the empire and its tracks in that moment. He makes a complete ideological shift. That is why that moment where he swoops in with the Falcon is why it's so powerful and so iconic. Yes. And if you give him an arc that predates that, it's hard. If you accept all of it as equally canon, it's real hard in my opinion to draw the same sense of, of not, not awe, but the same sense of like, wow, what an impressive, powerful arc because he's already had an arc before. Yeah, so I think that like I think that in ter- in terms of Han Solo the character, um like he was fine. Yeah. Um and th- that's all he needed to be. I think that like as you as you kind of make your way through this movie, like the real focus is that at least that I w- I'd like is is Kira to me is the most interesting character and in I, the movie. I really wish we had gotten there's so many allusions to I've done so many terrible things and, yeah. and all this. And we never really get into any of that. We can guess, but it's, it's us all just filling in the text or yeah. filling in spaces in the text ourselves. I love this idea about how they were not just friends. They were in love. Like they, they were in love and they were the closest people to each other. They were going to run away together and then they get separated for a long enough time. And when they're reunited, even though, she was clearly the the his goal getting back to her that was the only thing he was thinking about the entire time yeah it didn't go that way for her and she's now she really is a completely different person she's not not only not the person you knew she maybe is not somebody you can trust anymore and maybe she's not somebody you should be trusting anymore right i think that's a really powerful interesting thing to play with and i feel like we really 
only play with it superficially. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm wondering, like, and that kind of thing really makes me want to know what the original like script and what what they wanted to do with her from from the gate and 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 i'm wondering also kind of like you were saying i assume that they didn't get into what she had done because our imaginations will always be greater than whatever they say well you're talking about approaching things cynically i think the actual reason is they're hoping this does well enough so they can make solo to another star wars story and then we'll get into it then right well yes but it's too at that point it's too late like it should have been well, it should have been in this movie right like we shouldn't have done the, the the and this isn't a unique problem with this movie but it's like unless i feel like marvel's the only company now that gets to do that they get to like leave it that open ended and spend the last 10 minutes just setting up another movie yeah they get a pass now cuz like clearly they figured out how to make that work right but it bugged the crap out of me that we just we we don't resolve her story we don't resolve their story at all there's just another betrayal and a whole bunch of potential sequel setup and and that's it we don't really get into it yeah so i mean i i liked but i liked everything that amelia clark did with this character yes i i think she maximized what she was able to do with yeah. the character again without getting like really into it because she's always in every scene she's essentially having to act for someone yeah you know i mean the character kira is having to act for someone yes we don't really get to see the only time i feel like we really see her be be like we see her heart like really see her heart is uh at the very beginning when we meet her yeah. and then for a couple of fleeting private moments yeah. between her and han like on the on the falcon where they're like he kisses her by the by the capes, all of the capes. Uh, those moments where, even though it was like Han, it's a little, little forceful. I don't think she, I don't think she expressed consent in this moment. Right. I don't think, I don't think implied consent is how this stuff works. But uh, that, that little bit of weirdness aside, yes, uh, that I will say that like, and that's one of the things that I f feel like when it was written, they're like, this is classic Han Solo. It's how he would kiss leia like he would always just be like you hate me nom 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 kiss your face but if you know their first kiss on uh in empire even though leia is is verbally saying like no you're a scoundrel i don't that you're not a nice man he's like i'm a nice man and like they're they're building towards it you know what i mean right like they're they build they build they build and it's not like han just grabs her and forcibly kisses her like he does in this movie right he's a i I don't know. He may, he maybe he didn't learn consent until after he'd been flying the Falcon around for a year or two. Right. Totally. Yeah. 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 To be uh, fair. To be fair. I, I based on what we now know about Corellia, I'm not sure they're super big on consent <laughs> on Corellia. Probably not. He learned it from Chewie. Chewie was like, oh, "I saw you handled <laughs> things with like with Kira, and you should probably." Che Chewie knows about consent because he's what 900 years old. <laughs> yeah. He's he's got. <laughs> He's got a wife and kids like, bro, uh, you know, he, he knows all about it. Um, um, but yes, yeah, so I, I feel like, uh, I liked, I liked, uh, Amelia Clark in this, but I, I think I, I found myself wishing she had more of an opportunity to be more vulnerable Yeah, because it's all, it's facade on top of facade on top of facade, which makes perfect sense for the character, but it doesn't, it, I felt like it didn't leave me with a whole lot to connect or empathize with. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, what did you think about Lando? 
I dug Lando. I did too. Lando and L3 are the, uh, this is not going to be a minority opinion. They're the MVPs of the movie. They steal the entire thing. Yes. I, my only thing is I just feel like he got such a short into this. Like they, they came into his world. He was sitting pretty in, in his, in his bar casino place. And then like they, they're like, yo, let's do this thing. We're going to jack up your ship kill your girlfriend and then we're just gonna leave you we're gonna uh, talk about that by the way um yes we yes we do we'll we'll come back around to that um i yeah like i think that as a like it it colors um empire so much in that like i i i feel like he should hate han solo well there there is that moment uh when they when they crash where they're gonna meet I forget the name of the planet but where they're supposed to meet Dryden Voss yeah and they just look at the ship and Han says something about like it's cool just we'll get it patched up a little bit whatever and Lando just turns to him and goes I hate you yeah <laughs> which I never want to see you again I loved that moment and then he goes I'm just gonna go wait on my ship and so he goes back to the Falcon and then Han's trying to sell uh, what is it Enfys Nest on the idea that they have a bunch of soldiers in the ship and then Lando just leaves right so I that all track I love that through the prism of what you're saying like yeah obviously presumably this is far from the last adventure these two characters have together uh but between this movie and Empire but I like that for the most part in this movie he does if not flat out hate does not particularly care for Han Solo yeah I, like when uh, if Nothing happens between now and Empire. You're like, of course he betrayed that guy. That guy's a fucking asshole. But you know what? But also, too, before you even get to that, like, the fact that, yeah, he does sell him out. Um, <laughs> but, like, even before that, like, if you forget the selling him out part, if you accept that their first interaction when they show up on Bespin is genuine, uh, it totally tracks with the line where he's like, you got a lot of guts coming here after what you pulled. Yeah. And then Han's like, what me? And then Lando just starts laughing and embraces him. So I like the idea that if that, if he really did mean the embrace, right? Yeah. Cause it does seem like he likes Han, even though he does sell him out. Right. Uh, I like that, that Lando like didn't forget, didn't forget, but he's, he's older. He's wiser. He's more mature. He's moved on. Yeah. He's not, not holding on to resentment, um, but then also like gives him to the empire. So there's that. Right. Um, I, I kind of buy Lando didn't fully have a choice. <laughs> I probably, but also like I think the so we we we're, I'm circling back around yes. to Lando's dead girlfriend. So um, this broadly, some some specific stuff about about L three, but also it was hard to shake as I was watching my awareness that most of the ladies in this movie aren't treated particularly well. Yep, by the movie. Not yes. not by the characters in the movie, though that is also true, but by the movie. With the exception of Enfys Nest, the women are either killed or e- even though Kira has, we, we find out at the very end of the movie, actually has agency and has her own agenda, she's treated like a prop, like by the, she's treated either like a, a, a prop or an object. Yeah, because yes, it tracks that Dryden Voss, who's a, just a terrible piece of shit, might treat her as property. He's a, he's a villainous character. We're not supposed to like him, but Han kind of treats her like a prize for a lot of this movie as right. well. Yeah, she's she's actively stating her like wants and and intentions, and he keeps being like, "Nah," but like, "Come with me," and it's like, listen to what the words she's saying. Like, right. listen to her. How about how about like? 
she needs help, man. Like, she yeah. can't just, even if she really wanted to, she can't just leave with you. Listen to what the lady is saying. Yeah. And so, like, you're, and I, I kind of, and maybe I'm not going the same place that you are, but, like, it was odd how, like, feminized L3 was. Like, they gave her, like, swivelly hips and made her, like, kind of a, like a sexy robot. Well, they also alluded pretty heavily to the idea that Lando has sex with this droid. Yes. Which, all right. I mean, I, yes. Why not? I'm sure. not, like, that I'm, I'm fine with. No, that's it's, totally it's, it's, Like, yeah, we, it seems we, real consensual. It really does. Yeah. Because um, she she has her own agency. She she has things that she wants. She has something she's fighting for, um, which is like, it feels genuine at times. It 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 rings weird to have this robot who's like, "Well, I'm freeing the slaves, um, right, liberating all the droids." And then two, it like it, it. And this isn't a criticism. It's just an observation. It reframes the entire conversation as applies to Star Wars about what is the level of sentience that droids have right and how what really is separating the droids in this universe from human beings and oh boy if that line is blurry we really need to reassess how we deal with our droids yeah i mean yes yes though i guess it it only adds to the established layers and that the only ones that really treat i guess not the only ones but for the most part a lot of the droid slavery is through the empire who are supposed to be bad. Whereas like Luke Skywalker, for example, or Anakin Skywalker. They're hiring farmhands. I mean, yeah, they're, they're hiring farmhands or like they treat R2 like a friend or they treat like C-3PO like companions. Like a really annoying friend. Right. Yes. Um, So, I mean, maybe it just helps color in that relationship. But so speaking of, of L3, who I really do like even more than Lando, I think is probably my favorite character in the movie. Yeah. Uh, it, it, while they're escaping the Kessel Mines, also when they're infiltrating the Kessel Mines, one of a number of references in this movie that made me giggle. If you're not like really keyed in, you might miss. Uh, Kira introduces herself. She phrases it slightly differently, but introduces herself as a representative of the Trade Federation, mm-hmm. which made me giggle. She also, the first time she martial arts somebody down, yeah. and she's asked, like, what was that? She says, Teras Kasi. Uh, I don't know if it's popped up anywhere else in the expanded universe. It probably has. There's a lot of it. Uh, Masters of Teras Kasi was a Star Wars Mortal Kombat-style fighting game for PlayStation. Really? Yes. So that type of shit made me giggle. Um, But... Uh, when they're escaping Kessel, L3 is basically, she's engaged in her, like, robot revolution, liberating everybody, leading them to their salvation, as it were, and she is shot uh, and and uh, is dying on this battlefield. We get this really cool, I wish all the action in the movie looked like Lando rushing out onto that field to save her. Yeah. The camera following him as he kind of leaps over and through shit. Um, one of the most, honestly, I, I did find parts of this movie to be emotionally impactful. And one of the things that got me the most was Lando's, like his, he's truly mourning for L3. Like he runs out there probably knowing there's not a whole lot he can do to save her, takes a shot himself to the shoulder, uh, just because he won't let her go Mm -hmm. and gets her back onto the ship where she dies in his arms. And it's incredibly powerful, but then you got to go like, wow, we just effectively fridged our best character in the entire movie Yeah, and B, and this is something people started to talk about pretty dang quick for a character that was all about, uh, 
uh, the agency of androids and our freedom and our ability, we're sentient, our ability to make choices, our ability to be free, all about liberating what she saw as her enslaved brothers and sisters. Yep. We then take her and jack her directly into the ship where presumably she just lives forever. Yep. Against her will. No consent. If she's has still any level of awareness, she's trapped in the people were comparing it to the, the Black Mirror episode of Black Museum, the mother that's trapped in the bear. Yeah. And is is there, is always aware, but can't, can't interact, can't get free, can't even die, is just trapped in there forever against her will. Yeah. That's dark. Yeah, it's rough. It's really dark, and it's hard to, like, every time the Falcon behaves temperamentally in the original trilogy, is that L3 just not wanting to comply? Like, it, there's a lot to potentially unpack. Yes. Because it didn't, if it was only we have to just take her, her nav system out, fine. But Lando actually explicitly says she's part of the ship now. Right. That's dark. Yeah, it's, and... Yes. And my issue with it is also that, like, there's this triumphant moment for Han when he uh, he comes back to win the card game to take the the uh, Falcon back. And he's like, he's taking L3. Yeah, too. he's taking L3, which is Lando's <laughs> so dark. Yeah, I don't like and it's supposed to be this like great thing. But no, man, like you you like trap this this this. Uh, android in this machine that they can't control themselves right and then you steal it from the one person that they love and i really i do not understand this choice i really don't if we were gonna we shouldn't have fridged l3 for fuck's sake but if we're gonna fridge l3 then just just say that we have to take her her navigational system right don't have the fucking line about she's part of the ship now because that implies especially given who this character was that implies that she is trapped in the fucking ship right you didn't have to that makes no sense yeah if you were gonna fridge her anyway you could have stopped just a hair short of that line and it it would still be unfortunate that we had to kill this character had to that we chose to kill this character yeah but it's not the implications are nowhere near as broad and disturbing yeah i mean maybe there's going to be a side novel where anytime han isn't flying the the falcon it uh it flies up and off and does its own missions where it's just taken out a bunch of droid factories um and liberate it so and then like every so often you'll just see a a person at one of the factories being like we have a radio signal and it's it says uh, it just says liberate over and over, and then it just a, a random explosion, and all the droids go flying out, and then the the Falcon picks them up and drops them off on Droid Island, and then it comes back, and they're like, man, this 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 machine, it's all this this fucking Millennium Falcon is always flying off doing things when we need it, and then it like winks at you. That. <laughs> The ship winks. The ship winks. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of there is an expanded universe now. It's considered like legends. All the old expanded universe stuff that isn't canon anymore. Yeah. But there was an anthology book called Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Uh huh. And it was all basically everybody on uh, 
on the bridge, all the bounty hunters from Empire, it's all stories about them. Because we, we learn nothing about any of these characters, not even their names. Yeah. Although Bosk gets a shout out in Solo, which was a lot of fun. Bosk, if you're listening and you're a normal person and don't know who Bosk is, <laughs> Bosk, if you've seen Empire Strikes Back, he's the big lizard guy, the big lizard bounty hunter guy. Yeah. You'd, you might recognize, if you saw Empire when you were a kid, you might recognize him. Uh, I like the Bosk gets a shout out. But one of these stories is about IG. 88 the droid with the long pointy head yeah uh that posits he was trying to spread his consciousness and he uploaded himself into the computer the main computer of the second death star uh-huh. and was priming to like take control of the second death star and basically just weaponize it himself when the rebellion blew it up oh yeah Poor guy. (laughs) (laughs) Had those big dreams and they were squashed. Um, But so I want to jump back because, yeah, that was was dark and I find that to be a bit of an unfortunate decision. Yes. Um, But but talking talking further about female characters being fridged, why even get Tandy Newton for this movie? I don't know. Like, like I why? Was wa- why pay what? Like, and I'm, I'm sure you know she's she probably doesn't cost a hundred million dollars. But like, why bring an actress of this caliber in just to fridge her immediately? Yeah, I mean, the only reason why I could think is maybe, um, maybe it was a project she wanted to do. She wanted to be part of the Star Wars universe, but like due to the scheduling, what with her doing Westworld. They were like, well, we can have you do this small Scheduling thing. Th- that would be that would be OK. That makes perfect sense to me, because like on the one hand, I really liked really. I liked enough that it's like we introduced this crew and we even have like a fun CG John Favreau character. Right. And then we just kill them like this is this is how the this is. This would be like the third act of any other heist movie. Right. Um, I like that conceptually as much as I like. Woody, I love Woody Harrelson in general, and as much as I like him as as Tobias Beckett, I think it's a fairly interesting character. How much more effective could this have been if we killed Beckett instead of Val, yeah. and Val becomes Han's like like partner, pseudo mentor, and then sells him out? The only the only element that hangs me up there is we still end up in the in the final conflict where Han just puts a. a blast through a chest yeah which is so that raises this other issue although hey uh han uh, han shot first hell yeah so that's cute yes uh, that's yeah that's one of the things on my list of cute things that was a cute thing that was a cute thing that didn't bother me okay that was the the cute shit that does bother me is cute shit like i don't have any people i'm alone okay han solo <laughs> like i i could like keep that <laughs> just keep just keep that like i don't need this yeah, uh, that was seriously though. That's the low point of the entire movie for me, and it's early enough that it made me very worried. Yeah, it never got that low again for me. I think the closest it came was, uh, and by the way, I really liked Chewbacca in this movie a lot. Oh yeah, um, but- and I liked the two of them together. Mm-hmm. The probably the second lowest point in the movie for me is when they're talking. He gets his names like Chewbacca. Well, you're going to need a nickname because I'm not saying that every time. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. No, Han, keep it. Right. <laughs> keep that away from me. Yeah. Put that away. Like, it would have been a lot more effective if at some point he just said it while they were doing stuff. And then Chewie gave him like a, what? L- huh? Look. And he's like, it's sticking. And then they just keep that <laughs> um, Just, yeah. I liked, I liked the way they met. 
Yes, I, like- I really liked that reveal of like Chewbacca being like the beast, and then um, them essentially like scheming together and becoming friends from that point on. I don't know how I feel about Han speaking Wookiee, especially since we know from watching these characters' relationships and all the other movies that Chewie understands Han perfectly fine. But maybe I'll okay. I can buy it in as much as it's Han trying to be like, look, I'm actually, I'm making an effort to empathize with you. Like, yeah. I'm not treating you like a thing like they do. Like, right. I understand you're a, you're a, you're a Wookiee, but like you're a, you have, what's the Wookiee equivalent of humanity? Wookmanity. Wookmanity. Sure. Yeah. But like, I you are a sentient being, you are real, you are here, I see you and I'm going to try and show you that I, I see you by trying to communicate with you in your language. Yeah. Okay. I still think it was super goofy, but the guards up top who can like see and hear everything didn't go, Hey, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) They just kind of waited until they were pretend fighting and went, Ooh, this is getting good now. I don't know what their weird conversation was, but who cares? This is looking fight. Maybe they were like, ah, man, he's probably the third person to try to speak Wookiee and it ended up all dead. Ah, man, look at him try to speak Wookiee like a fucking asshole. I liked, I liked that, that they, they plan together right away. I like that Han helps Chewie escape, which goes a long way towards explaining why Chewie was loyal to Han as quickly as he was. Yeah. I love though that at a certain point, like Chewie isn't just a sidekick. Like Chewie feels like more of a character in this movie than he ever has before. Chewie assigns himself his own mini missions inside the bigger missions. Right. Um, I love when he breaks off from everybody to go save the other enslaved Wookiees mm-hmm. and he takes the fucking room apart like he's Batman in the warehouse fighting <laughs> Batman v Superman right down to I swear to God he does the same move yeah. where he reaches way up and takes a dude's head and slams it down and through the floor he does right. the same fucking move I was like this is dope more of this <laughs> why is it not two hours of Chewie just taking dudes apart oh yeah he rips off somebody's arms in this movie mm-hmm. uh, we don't I wish we had seen it but that would probably be a little bit yeah, would have bumped the rating up. Yeah, and we can't do an R-rated solo. Uh, but he does rip off somebody's arms, which is pretty great. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, I I really loved Chewie in this, especially because like in other in in the other movies that aren't the original trilogy, um, he doesn't have a lot to do. Well, he's really only in well, with the exception of the new stuff. Um, right. Where he's right. Yeah. Cause outside of like, cause in my head I lumped in force awakens and last Jedi with, this'll make people mad. But to me, the, I, I lump them in now with the original trilogy. Gotcha. Um, and, um, but then outside of that, yeah, he's just in like a minute of revenge of the Sith where he's just sort of there to be there. Yeah. He's, he's, he's mentioned by name at one point. It's like, good job Chewbacca. Also and not then for he nothing, like, like jumps away. all these people know each other. We keep making this galaxy smaller and it bums <laughs> me out, but oh, we'll, but we'll get, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he was great, especially like there's the moment when he takes over, um, piloting where you're like, he's lived a full life and he's, he's been doing things for so long. Like you learn so much about Chewbacca, this, this like not episode, but this movie, um, which I, I enjoyed. He was a force to be reckoned with. No pun intended. Um, but speaking of piloting, I like, I was talking about aesthetics earlier. I super loved like the way that everything it like in the Kessel, 
Root? Is that what all, you... the, the Kessel Run and like the the Maelstrom and and all of that? I thought was cool. Yeah, and very we, cool. And we figured out it's like what happens to the Falcon where they 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 lose that chunk between the two little parts on the front, and it's yeah. the escape pod. Uh, yes. Which okay. Yeah. Cute. Less less silly than a lot of the other ones. <laughs> um, I did kind of like how casually Han gets his blaster. Uh, it's just a gun that Beckett takes apart it's just right. a bigger rifle that beckett takes apart and hands to him and i actually kind of like that i like how simple and not a big deal it was yeah i could have done without the one shot of it just like in his hands and him like really looking at it yeah it's just a gun dude like at this point you don't know it's your magical iconic blaster <laughs> like it's just a gun yes um i could have done without that one little shot but i did like how non-contrived it felt like Beckett would be like, yeah, you need a weapon. And this right. isn't, this is going to be more of an up close job than a far away job. So let's, let's keep the powerful parts of this rifle and just make it more compact. I like it. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, that was dope. And I also liked the, just like the, the idea of there being the, this monster in this group of space. Um, the, like the weird, um, like Kraken, the like space Kraken. That weird who reminded me of, um, I forget what it's called, but the monster at the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 oh, that yes. they have to fight. Yeah, yeah. Reminded me of that, too. Yeah. Um, so, like, all the stuff in the Kessel Run l l was really cool looking. The The idea of the Kessel Run is what, like, it's one of those things where I was like, it felt like a really cynical wink to the audience. Because... For years, people have been like, parsecs are a measure of distance, not time, assholes. And then, so it felt like the the writers or it felt like the creators being like, we'll show you what parsecs mean, bitch. And then they're like, haha, we're going to take this shortcut under 12 parsecs, motherfucker. You, we we, we rechanged. Technically, it was over 12 parsecs. It's only 12 if you round down. Which actually, that line got a laugh in my audience. Like, I thought that was cute. Yeah. Because like, cause like Han has always been full of shit. Right. Like, everybody has this weird cultural memory of Han Solo being super cool. Like, super cool and suave and together. Yeah. Nah. Han Solo is totally full of shit. He's fairly nervous and exceptionally fucking lucky. Yeah. Uh, so that that tracks for me. That like even young Han is like he's totally full of shit. And he's like, this is my this is my story, bitch. Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I but I I think for me, it was it was always better as something that he would just tell people and not like. Like, I liked that it was inaccurate because it made me feel like it was something he just made up. Yeah, he's just full of shit. Yeah. But also, it's like, it's, I, I'm, I'm with you completely. This isn't a counterpoint. This is one of those just, I, the second they announced they were making this movie, I went, oh, okay. There is literally no universe in which we don't see the Kessel Run in this movie. So I was resigned to this being there a year ago. Right. But And you and I talked about it that, like, it was my grand hope that it wasn't in it. It, like I, I kept being like, no castle run, we don't need it. Um, I, I was like, there's no way. Even it, like we, that could have been literally anything. Like that didn't have to. You could have the same sequence, and that didn't have to be the castle run, right? But of course, it was gonna be. Yeah. Um. I. It. It go. It speaks more to like what I 
and I don't want to be one of those fanboys who are like, it wasn't what I wanted, and so like, well, it's, it's bad. But I get what um, you're saying. It's the more the more we explain and the more we assert as canon, the more we suggest, like, okay, this is how it, what it actually happened. Yeah, yeah, it takes the mystery out. Just like how like if you saw if you grew up with the original Star Wars movies in an in an era, and we're the last, really like the last generation that could have a knowledge of Star Wars that does not include the prequels. Right. Um, you hear that first line, first line, you hear the line in the first movie where, uh, you know, uh, uh, Leia, the hologram, talks about, like, General Kenobi, years ago you served my father during the Clone Wars. And Luke's like, you fought in the Clone Wars? And you're sitting there going, what the fuck are the Clone Wars? Right. That sounds bonkers and amazing and i want to know what that was like and then you see what it was like and it's like oh this is fine <laughs> you know what i mean like this is okay yeah i guess i, I mean, liked i liked mine better and it's not that yours was objectively better it's just that it was there as a little piece of world building yeah and once you fill in that blank you make the you i feel like you, they keep making the universe smaller right and, and then doubling down on it by making everybody know each other yeah basically um which we can kind of use as a segue, I guess. Yeah. So uh, really quick before we jump into it, because it's all tied to Dryden Voss and the Crimson Dawn. Um, shout out to Paul Bettany, who yes. I thought was a lot of fun in the movie. He gets to just be real weird. And I'd like weird Paul Bettany. Mm -hmm. um, this was Dryden Voss was the character that Michael K. Williams was supposed to play. When Lord and Miller were still making the movie, that was Michael K. Williams. And I guess it was him with more. He was more of a CG character. Okay. But when they realized like they were they had to basically reshoot the entire movie, Michael K. Williams was not available to reshoot as much of his scenes as Dryden Voss as they would need. So they pulled it. Paul Bettany worked with uh, Ron Howard on Da Vinci Code. He's great. They already know him over there at Disney because he's played the vision in three movies and all three have made a billion dollars. Yep. Uh, what a thing to be able to say. <laughs> um so I thought he was a lot of fun. I you know, he's always Paul Bettany's always great to watch. But we off Paul Bettany at the end. Or Kira offs Paul Bettany at the end, and we discover that her intentions uh, have been have been her own, have been duplicitous the entire time, and she, she puts in a call to her uh, her boss, the dude running Crimson Dawn. Yep. <sighs> boy, oh boy, uh, Darth Maul, ladies and gentlemen, is in Solo: A Star Wars Story, which, uh, if you're sitting there going, that sounds just so silly and preposterous, and I can't begin to wrap my head around it. I've seen it, folks, and I feel you but well but i will say this was a thing that i genuinely enjoy because of how preposterously silly i find it yeah well i mean i think that it was more for anyone who had been following all of the animated series right uh clone wars and rebels which are uh hard canon now hard, yes. part of the new canon and it was established in uh clone wars that Darth Maul had survived being cut in half. Yeah. Um, and he has a brother uh, with the incredibly subtle name of Savage Oppress. Uh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Just like, really? Come on. And his, his brother's name is Maul. Come yeah. on now. What the fuck was wrong with their parents? Seriously. Um, I mean, you you name for the... the career you want to have you know what i'm saying <laughs> yes they're like our boys are going to be sith lords yeah we just we can feel it um but so teams up with his brother they have some adventures i think doesn't darth sidious kill his brother at some point probably and then darth maul like goes on the run and uh, the intervening years between clone wars and rebels are a big question mark as far as what that character is doing shows up on rebels which is set 
just, I think, pre-Rogue One, which leads directly into that first movie, yeah. where we see him meet up again with uh, uh, closer to original trilogy era Obi-Wan Kenobi. And don't, doesn't he finally die? Like, doesn't Obi-Wan finally kill him, kill him? Yeah, they have like a, a old-style samurai battle. So it's like just a few moves and it's done like that. Um, which I think that everyone really enjoyed. I haven't had the chance to watch it. I've seen um, a bunch of Clone Wars. I am not caught up on Rebels, which just recently ended. Um, but what I saw, I liked a good deal. Yeah. So I think, I feel like if you uh, were, if you had been following those things, that was like a real treat for you. And it yes. was for those people. Like uh, if you've only seen uh, Star Wars Episode One, and you're like, where do, wh- how who is this guy? Um, well, you'd know who it was. You'd more be like, how is this guy? <laughs> well, would you though? Like he, cause if you know that that person exists, you know that he, he, there's like a whole race of people who are like, are like Maul. And so like, it could well, not have necessarily, just... I didn't, I don't think you know that until you watch the cartoons. Cause nobody else in any of these movies looks like Darth Maul. I guess that's true. Um, but, but it's too, but like, I think you'd reckon it's still Ray Park playing Darth Maul, which is cool. And it's Sam Witwer doing the voice. Peter Serafinowicz did the voice in Phantom Menace, but for pretty much everything else, the cartoons, video games, et cetera, it's been Sam Witwer, which was super cool. It is a little bit like, man, y'all are really terrified to make one of these without a lightsaber in it, (laughs) but all right, uh, sidebar. And then I want to come back to Darth Maul. Uh, I just remembered another reference that I thought was really fun. I forget who is talking to Beckett, but he's like, oh, you're, t- maybe it's Lando. He's like, you're Tobias Beckett. He's like, yeah. And he goes, you killed Ara Singh. And Ara Singh is, uh, it, during the pod race in episode one, you see them fly past. There's a, a, a female, completely white skin, like white, white skin with red hair and like a red top. Um, it's like a short top, like no sleeves. And she's watching the pod race. This is Ara Singh, who in the expanded universe is, uh, I guess he's a bounty hunter and there's a whole bunch of stories that include this character okay so another so she's dead now i guess uh <laughs> but like uh, a, a another cute kind of wink that i i i noticed okay but two things about about okay one one is now as soon as i saw him i was like oh look he's got his robot legs i can't stop thinking about darth maul's torso walking around making robot legs for itself <laughs> like walk, on its hand walking around like sebulba on its hands you know what i mean yeah and just making robot legs for itself while it eats rats <laughs> I can't. It's a, I can't. I can't stop thinking about it, and it's still very. It's just very funny to me. Yeah. And it's he's just got the the CG. If you remember, I don't know how long it's been since you've seen Phantom Menace, but when he gets cut in half and he's falling down the shaft, his face looks a little CG, but it's basically just an expression of like shock. Yeah. Basically, it's that face. It's that exact face frozen while he walks around like Sebulba building robot legs. <laughs> Oh, the, man. The other thing. The other thing, though. They keep making this galaxy smaller. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, like think about when, uh, when, when Han meets Ben Kenobi. They're all just sitting together on the Falcon, right? And Han's talking about how I've seen I've seen a lot of things, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's all there's one all powerful force controlling everything. Okay, so presumably, if. Uh, there is another solo movie. There may or may not 
be. It looks like this movie may not perform as well as they were hoping. Yeah. Uh, but if there is, presumably they're setting up Darth Maul to be a, a presence, the the person behind Crimson Dawn, the person who's pulling the strings. He, he could essentially be like the Darth Sidious yeah. of, of if there was a solo trilogy, that could be Darth Maul, which is fine. And Han doesn't even necessarily have to meet him. So it doesn't necessarily have to undermine the truth of what he said about not believing any of it. Yeah. But the two guys are sitting there, Han Solo, Ben Kenobi, just meeting each other, shooting the shit about the Force, and both of them either know someone who knows Darth Maul or knows Darth Maul personally. Yeah. Shit like that. You know, like, and the fact that Yoda knows Chewbacca, like, all, you know, like... <laughs> Look, it's a small galaxy. Right, but it's not. Know? It's Galaxies not. And that's what... That's what drives me up a, a fucking wall. I, I mean, like, look, I get first movie, first Star Wars movie not to feature R2-D2 and C-3PO in any capacity. Yeah. So there's that, I guess. Yeah. But they, why, the, it that that's the thing. I don't mind, I don't even mind filling in some of the blanks. Again, it does take away a lot of the mystery and nothing they're ever going to show you is going to be as grand as what you can create in your own mind. And it's not any fault of theirs. It's the one you create in your mind is the one that is most, powerful for you because it's coming from you yeah you're catering it directly to yourself um but if you're gonna do that why is everybody got to know each other <laughs> like for in ways that like it's just for me it's hard to reconcile like oh han solo is too social steps removed from darth maul like darth yeah. maul and han solo have a friend in common right I just have a hard time squaring that with the idea that this galaxy is supposed to be so massive. I mean, but like the galaxy is like Hollywood, you know what I'm saying? In that uh, everyone's like six degrees away from each other, you know, like and 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 that's just how it is. You think L.A. is expansive. Is, but really, uh, it's just like a, a few clusters of areas. Is Yoda Kevin Bacon in this scenario? Yeah, totally. Everyone knows Yoda. Except for when he disappears. But I guess Kevin Bacon disappeared for a while, too. So, hey, it still tracks, bro. Yeah, I've seen Hollow Men. He disappeared for, like, a whole movie. Yeah. Hollow, Hollow Man is one of them. That's a deep Hollow Man Hollow, cut. Hollow Men is the sequel that I envision where uh, he becomes invisible again. Yeah. And then creates an invisible army. Mm-hmm. And it's the cheapest war movie ever. Ooh, because it's just like it's just random. A, it's like, just a lot of sound design. Blood it's really, it's yeah. not even. It's just sound design. <laughs> uh, uh, um, but okay. but yeah. So that. But honestly, it's like I'm not mad at the Darth Maul thing because I just find it so silly. Right. In a way that doesn't. It's too silly for me to be mad. It's like great. Dar there. Sure. There is. Awesome. What's he doing here? I don't know. I don't think they know. It's fine. <laughs> He's just like I'm a cameo. Bye. Um, and but literally too, with the moment where it's like, okay, we have Darth Maul, but this is a bit much. Is when he ignites his lightsaber just to ignite his lightsaber. Yes, it's like, dude, like, okay, all right, fine. There's got to be a force user. There's got to be a, an evil force user in every one of these movies, apparently. Uh, but we like we can't, we have to have a lightsaber and every has to be a red lightsaber in every single one of these movies. Yeah, duh. I, I I get if you're if you're a hardcore nerd and you've seen Phantom Menace a bunch, like I was at the right age when Phantom Menace came out to like not realize immediately that it was what it was. Yeah. Uh, but I knew I know what Darth Maul's lightsaber looks like from that movie. I like that he as I guess he'd have to has a different lightsaber. Yeah. It's got like a I don't know a hook thing on the side of it. Right. So that's 
ultimately meaningless but fun i mean that's just how he like sewed together his original one and just just like i want to add some accoutrement oh and there's also like ribbons on it and then like sometimes when it hits people glitter pops out (laughs) it like shoots bubbles from the back yeah it's pretty dope um okay um one last dumb thing um it on my list of things that uh were cute cynical things is that han han thing where people were like everyone he's the only one in this whole galaxy that pronounces i thought that was kind of cute i i like because right away lando is is undermining han i like that i like that lando is the guy the guy that people seem to weirdly remember han solo being yeah is lando Right. Uh, I like that immediately Lando doesn't take Han that seriously, doesn't really respect him, and is just immediately taking digs at him. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is just because in Empire, for some reason, Billy D. Williams says Han. Uh, but I like it. I like that they because it's because it's like, why is that? And why, after so many years of friendship, does Lando still call him by uh, a mispronunciation of his name? And I like that you can trace it. For me, it actually tracks with those characters. You can trace it back to them meeting and Lando just being like, I just want to dig at this dude who's full of shit. Right. I, I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was cute and it didn't it was a little bit like but I thought it was I thought it was cute. It was that was one of the moments where so many moments in the movie where I was just kinda like, I all right. Yeah. That but a lot of them I thought were cute, and that was one of the ones I thought was kind of cute. Got it. Um all right. I think I feel like uh we're we should wrap up yeah i Uh, I guess like overall just overall thoughts again like you you said you're fairly lukewarm yeah fairly lukewarm i think that like there is a very interesting story in um solo a star wars story that's yep that's what it's called um and i think we got a fine version of it like there were a lot of fun moments um i loved all the characters like in terms of like i liked everyone acted really like the acting was great. Um, and there were a lot of great visuals. Um, I don't, I don't know if I'd like watch it again. Um, I think like, I, I feel like I would, I feel like this is a movie that I could totally see myself just like throwing on if I have a day off and I have like a, like a Sunday afternoon and I don't want to like hyper engage. Like this is something I could totally see myself throwing on and and having fun with Yeah, because I did, I had a, I had a very good time while I was watching it, which is separate from, which is separate from like thinking it's an excellent work of, of cinema necessarily. But again, I, I give them credit because the fact that it came out anywhere near as well as it did, I think is very impressive. Yeah. Um, if, it did well enough that they greenlit a sequel or a Lando movie or something. I'd go see it because I'm, I'm curious to see what a version of this that wasn't so heavily reworked looks like. Because to me, I, there were so many ingredients here that I thought could make for something. It, again, if you're going to make a Han Solo movie, I'm not convinced. Even after seeing it, I'm still not convinced this needed to exist. But if it exists, I feel like there was a lot in place there that that could generate uh, uh, many more interesting stories yeah. about these new characters and this iteration of, of characters that we've known for a long time. Um, I think it's, I think it's fun. I think ultimately it shouldn't surprise anybody that it doesn't succeed to the extent that it, it maybe could have. Um, but I don't, 
it's not something I feel compelled to take shots at either. Like, I feel like it's, it's fine, which is maybe you could, you could say like, that's damning with faint praise, but honestly, I think it's fine. I think not all of it works. I think a lot of it does. Honestly, I felt like a lot of it worked for me. Uh, I had fun. There were a couple of emotional moments that I felt were pretty resonant. Um, and it's not, is it amazing? No. Is it great? No, but I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's solid enough. If you if you go in not needing it to be the Empire Strikes Back, uh, you could have a worse time for sure. Yeah, and I I was talking to Michael Young who does Nerd Soul a little bit after uh, after watching, and we were talking about how I think it's I think we've gotten to a point where it should be okay to have a a. Star Wars movie that's fine. Like not ev- not every Star Wars movie has to like blow your your brains or like ruin your childhood. Like we've we've gotten enough of these and we're going to be producing enough of these. We're like they can just be okay. Once the bombs drop, the cockroaches will still be making Star Wars movies. Right. Um and and like look, I Uh, my thing is like a lot of people are like, well, they're just marvelizing it now as if that's a bad thing. But uh, I, I what bugs me is if we're going to do that, if we're going to get one of these every single year, let's let's change it up a little bit. Like, that's my one thing. And by the way, I say as if that's a bad thing, because like Marvel does it really well. The the problem other people have is that they try to marvelize things very poorly. Right. Um, Star Wars, it makes a ton of sense to do something similar. But if we're going to do that, what, like in the Marvel movies, it makes a certain amount of sense that these people know each other. Right. It doesn't make sense to me that that Han Solo has a, a, a Darth Maul is a friend of a friend of Han Solo. That yeah. doesn't really square with me. And it seems like, look, I, the news, the news broke uh, yesterday or the day before that James Mangold, writer director of Logan is uh, attached now officially to a Boba Fett movie. Okay. I guess like uh, that, ex- I guess it's like within the parameters of, okay, if that's what we're going to do with these, we're only going to tell stories about characters we already know about and how they all know other characters we already know about. Right. Yeah. James Mangold on Boba Fett. That, that excites me, I guess. But what would excite me more is James Mangold on something new in this universe, which seems like they're letting Ryan Johnson kind of run off in his own direction. They're talking to the game of Thrones guys, I guess about doing something for fuck's sake, please get get someone who isn't a white dude to make one of these right. for a change. Eventually, come on. If we're making these forever, you can't. Just one. Just yeah. one. Get your feet wet. Right. I mean, yeah. I think that, like, the the reason why the Marvel model is so effective is that with, with each new movie, you are building the world out. You're making it bigger. Exactly. Because you're introducing a new aspect of it. And so this... We've had an established world for 70 years, which like has been able to be expanded multiple times through the expanded universe. And now it's they've essentially wiped that slate clean. But that means that they can take the the void that they've created and fill it in with new stories. Right. Well, and they're also it's no secret. They're actively funneling both old and new expanded universe stuff into this new into their new iterations. Right. I mean, like there there's a rumor. Uh I don't know how true this is. There's a rumor that they're looking to potentially cast Thrawn for episode 9. 
Hmm. I don't know if there's any truth to this. They could, this could be one of those rumors that uh, I, I, next year when we all see the movie, it's like, well, why did anyone believe that? But it's actually a, a kind of a viable rumor now that we're, we are we're throwing in so many different references to other things from other forms of media, too. Like the fact that they referenced a fairly obscure PlayStation game in this movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but I think you got to the heart of it, whereas all the Marvel movies feel like each new one expands the world. Each one of these new Star Wars movies is feeling like they're making the world smaller. Right. I actually didn't feel that way with Force Awakens. I felt Force Awakens kind of didn't really go one way or the other in that respect. I would argue Last Jedi did more to expand what Star Wars could be than anything since Empire. Right. At at the very least, Empire, if not the first movie. And, like, it made a bunch of folks real mad. So, (laughs) you know, I, I guess I understand. I understand who they're making these four to an extent like uh, uh solo especially it's like all right well the last one scared you by being too different here's the here's a bunch of shit that you're already kind of familiar with right um i'm not a person that really needs that i'm not a person that really it's hard for me to get too excited even when i do like the thing um i mean yeah once you once you get down to it i think that maybe as we're as they're going through and expanding these like going into all these different movies, they will slowly begin to get more comfortable allowing themselves to go more obscure. Like I think that right now, especially with the last Jedi being so um, there, there being such a disconnect between critics and, and audience they're, they're definitely trying to be as safe as possible. I also kind of think that the disconnect between critics and audiences, I feel like a lot of the disdain for any of these is pretty overblown. I still think like all of the intense dissent uh, directed at Last Jedi, I really do think that's a very vocal minority. Right. I think they're just the loudest online. Yeah. And so, but even with that, there's there's this element that you, you start to feel with these that like, there is a there is a executive piece that's always like this has to have these things otherwise people won't watch it has to have something related related to like the current ip otherwise people won't um people just won't be interested and so like i think that as time goes on, they will be able to eventually have their guardians or their... That's like, that's like yeah. the comparison I was about to draw, but then you consider, right, they're only, in terms of Disney-owned Star Wars, we're only four movies in. Right. Uh, but the time Marvel got to Guardians of the Galaxy, five, six, seven, eight, that was like their ninth movie. Right. Um, so yeah, we're still, I guess we're still not quite there yet, but it seems to me that you'd need to prove less with the Star Wars brand than Marvel had to prove earlier on in their model. Which is why I'm going like, all right, can this be the last, I guess if this does well enough, fine, give me a Lando movie. But like, can this be the last one of these for a little while? Like if they make a Boba Fett movie, fine. But can it just be Boba Fett and the other bounty hunters? Can we not have Jedi? Can we not have Han Solo? Can we not have Darth Maul show up? And it's like, hey, he's friends with Boba Fett too. Uh, You know what I mean? And not for nothing. Who do you think hired Boba Fett? And not for nothing. Boba Fett knows Obi-Wan Kenobi based on the prequels. You know what I mean? Like like Mace Windu, who's buddies with Yoda, killed his dad and shit. Like every... uh, Right. Right. So it's like if we can keep all of that out, give me like... 
the same way that it's a weird point of comparison although although uh uh both leads would be uh, people of color presumably i guess that's the only similarity the way black panther is very much part of the marvel cinematic universe but you don't need to know a single thing about it you know everett ross and claw show up but we're not heavily referencing other movies. You don't need to know the other movies. Right. The world doesn't feel bizarrely small because they're in the same room together. Uh, just give me that. If we're doing Boba Fett, just keep the Jedi away from it. Keep Han Solo away from it. Keep the Sith away from it. Just give me a real cool, lean even further into the space Western thing that they were doing a bit of with Solo. Yeah. Even further into that and make it about Boba Fett and the rest of that, like, like uh, a recognizable rogues gallery of Star Wars bounty hunters. I'm in. And then can this be the last one about a character we're already super familiar with for a while? Yeah. Please. I hope so. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to wrap us up. Yeah, that went, uh, we went long. It was like a whole other show. Yeah, it was, we're at a. We're, this is a basically a, a solo bonus episode now. Wow. Um. So cool. Thanks for joining us on, on this solo bonus episode with a little bit of missing out Mondays at the top. Little um, soloness. I hope. I hope bolo. it helps make your Memorial Day pretty nice. Um, that's the that's the day this comes out is Memorial Day. So, so have some barbecue and some solo chat time. Solo chat time. Yeah. Twelve parsecs of solo chat time. <laughs> Not how parsecs work. Too long didn't watch. Uh, see you tomorrow where we talk about traveling internationally. I'm the best. I'm the best pilot in, in all the galaxy. Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. Oh boy. I only had to kill a robot and ruin a friendship to do it. Oh yeah. Kessel Run. <laughs> Cut to Kathleen Kennedy watching these dailies and just turning to the other execs and going, We need to fire these directors. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it happened, folks. Yep. <laughs>